This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the MK1 podcast and also welcome back to the latest episode of the MK1 Meet series. We decided to delay our Cambridge review and Shrewsbury preview to next week to focus on a special episode with a man who we've seen a lot of on the sideline this season from the stands, home and away, and a man who has, well, had an amazing season as his first season as Don's head coach and someone who we're really keen to speak to. So we're delighted to welcome Liam Manning onto the MK1 podcast. Liam, how are you doing? Yeah, all good, thank you. All good. Uh, be nice to have a, a couple of days break at the weekend, ready to go for obviously the big final push. So, yeah, good, thanks. Good to hear you. Been enjoying the weather. I saw with uh, the Dean Livingston Challenge earlier. So, that's a lot of good fun. <laughs> yeah, no, we had, we had a good day, to be fair. The lads the lads were, were in good spirits, obviously. And, yeah, there was a... Bit, bit of a competition today, which to be fair, Skip won his own competition named after him. So it was a good day. Yeah, that's very like him to be fair to win that type of thing. It's uh, <laughs> so I'm not, not surprised at all. Uh, but um, yeah, he, yeah, he's Mr. Fantastic. What, what else can we expect? So yeah, I mean, we've we've put together some of our own questions. Of course, we asked the fans for some questions. I'd love to hear from yourself, Liam. Um, so yeah, I mean, the structure of it is going to be fairly free-flowing, but we're just going to chat about some stuff that we wanted to talk about uh, throughout the episode. Um, kicking off with, obviously, you know, back in England, I know you've had your, your ventures overseas, um, but back to where the bread and butter is essentially in terms of Milton Keynes. How are you finding life in Milton Keynes so far? Yeah, no, loving it. I think, Firstly, off the pitch, me and my family have moved here, so I've got a, I've got a young boy as well. Which you know, we love the area. It's been it's been great for us in, you know, settling here. Lots to do, lots of uh, lots of activities. Got a dog as well, so lots of walks, getting out and about. So we love living in the area, to be fair. And then yeah, the obviously the clubs, you know, it's great. Full of uh, I think the biggest thing is the people at the club. I just enjoy going into work every day and working with a terrific group of players and then a, you know a really good group of staff as well. So. It's uh, it's good. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, you can you can tell from the outside. Um, even just going to games on a Saturday, that it's a really enjoyable atmosphere to be a part of. And obviously, you know, us fans have really enjoyed it this season, especially of course where we are in the, in the league table, but also just going to away games you know, every single every other week. And uh, I think Cambridge on Saturday was a good example of that in terms of uh, the atmosphere that we brought. And uh, yeah, basically enjoying the sun. So yeah, it's it's been a good time for sure. Yeah, and no, I have to say the you know the, the following and the uh, you, you really felt it after Cambridge the connection between the away fans and the players and the staff I thought was terrific and you know there's it, no coincidence we've been so good on the road for me I think if you 
you look at the following we've had, you know, some of the places we've been, some of the tough games. Yeah, Cruz, one that sticks to my head that I thought was yeah. outstanding that day. Um, and, you know, a few since then, Rotherham was obviously terrific. Sunderland was great. And, I, you know, I think it, it, you know, it's, people are paying hard-earned money to come and, you know, support the team. So, you know, the least we can do is, you know, work as hard as we can to try and, you know, entertain everybody coming up. And, yeah, like, I, like I've said numerous times in interviews, I think it, it does make such a difference. You know, I know that a lot of managers, coaches talk around it, but, it, you know, it can shift the momentum so quickly in the game. You know, you saw that at the weekend where, we, you know, you can be under the cosh for five minutes and all of a sudden we do something good, the fans erupt and it, you know, it can get us back and, you know, on top again in games. So it's, it's been terrific. So, you know, it's, it's a massive thanks. I think, you know, the you know, support's been incredible. Yeah, we actually spoke about crew earlier in terms of how, like, underrated it was as an away day for us fans because I think it was the first time in a while where, you know, we just really, really enjoyed the away day. And, you know, of course, crew's brilliant because I think for our first guys anyway, the pubs are really close and the ground's really close to the train station. So, uh, yeah, no, it was a good laugh. And, of course, getting, getting the, those three points was... Uh, Really, really good. Also, really, really good. Also, yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah. Remember the game? To be fair, it was a, it was actually a tighter game than the score reflected. I thought, yeah. but again, it was a same with more. Yeah, another, <laughs> it's closer than the scoreline maybe suggested, but when we're scoring the goals, who, who cares? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what we got in the side, right? I think it's obviously different. The team now, if you look at them two games, we've got almost a different side now which a lot of people forget, we've transitioned a team mid-season, which doesn't happen too often. Um, and yeah, they, they were tight games, but yeah, when, you, when you've got some of the quality we've got and some of the fearlessness that the players play with, you know, that's why you, you end up with some of the results we've had. Right, um, first of all, Liam, um, obviously it's a pleasure having you on here. Um, but you mentioned about, obviously, these performances, um, but what are the key principles um, of a Liam Manning's team? I think when I when I look at it in terms of I, I came in and with with some real top line things that we want to dominate possession but with a real purpose we want to be attack minded we want to be aggressive whether we're blocking or pressing we want to do it with real aggression so even if we're blocking we want to move up the pitch with our block we want to have control in all moments so that's in possession out of possession and transitions which again I think we've done a lot of work and if you look at you know, some of the goals we conceded early on against sort of Doncaster away, Shrewsbury away, some that jumped to mind, the counter-attacks. We worked really hard at that. And I think you now see it in, the, you know, in, in games that we concede in less counter-attacks. But also when we do, we're actually defending them a lot better. So I want us to have control and be comfortable in their moments. I want to get people, get players, sorry, in, in positions where they're able to showcase their strengths. So rather than go, you're a 10, this is what you have to do. We'll work the team so that if you're a 10 that likes to be wide, we'll get you there. If you're a 10 that likes to play central, we'll get you there. So they're, they're kind of the top line playing principles. And then I think the most important thing that we've done loads on that underpins all of that is having a really strong culture. So having really good people that are honest, that are, attitudes are good, that are in, uh, show humility, that work extremely hard, that love the game, that play with intensity and discipline. They're, they're kind of the things that for me at first and then obviously them top line principles I speak around come second so I think there's an there's an element when we look at what do I want my teams to look like all of them things but also an element where players feel empowered to make decisions in game I think rather than it being a, a you know a dictatorship where they have to do as I say I, for me I if, if I if I give you a framework I give you structure and I give you options it's then my job to coach you to make the right ones at the right time and that that for me is probably the biggest thing that we look at in terms of 
uh, empowering players to make decisions because that when you look at the game, it's different every single week. It's an invasion game. You, players have to feel it and see it during the game. So, yeah, they're, they're probably some of the key things. I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of empowerment, and I think I think a lot of it falls to the mentality of the side or general. And I think I think that's been really top notch this season. And I'd be really interested to hear Liam about how you've you may maybe ways you developed your mentality as a coach and how you've unlocked that in the players as a whole or maybe transfer some of your knowledge to them especially as some of the quite younger lads in general yeah i think um that the players are probably tired of it now i have a, a culture slide that i show um and the first thing for me is staff and players everybody puts the team first i think that's that that's that that's huge for me that 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 has to be number one the team so all my decisions when i pick a team is for what the team i think needs that weekend Players in the team are not in the team. Your attitude, behaviour has to do what the team needs for the team to be successful. So we do a lot on that. That's number one is the team. Then number two is uh, the person. So I'll treat you like a person. I'll communicate to you like a person. Uh, so you know, I have four values that for me are really important and that we kind of you know work hard to recruit off as well. So players that uh, have uh, positive attitudes, players that have integrity, players that have humility, uh, and players that are honest. I think they're, they're four key things for us. Uh, and then after that, then it's the professional behaviour, so discipline, focus, intensity, bravery, openness are five things that we kind of work really hard towards. So I run that down the players' throats constantly in terms of this is the minimum I expect. Then if you make mistakes off of that, no worries, I'll coach you. The staff will coach you to get better. And we do that in a variety of ways, whether it's individual, whether it's unit, whether it's team. Uh, that's on pitch, off pitch, video, animations, tactics boards, just sitting down, having a chat, showing them best practice from the Premier League. It, we do it in you know, numerous ways to try and sort of educate the players. And also then we're patient. I think that's the biggest challenge, I think, when you go into first team football is results have to happen instantly, yet development takes time. So it's finding that, that balance and that sweet spot of how do we... How do we be a little bit patient, but also drive a standard and know that we need to win games as well? So I think we, you know, we've we've probably done a reasonably good job at that this year of trying to find that balance of leaving people in the team, taking them out as and when's needed, depending on you know what what level uh, of learning they've shown. Yeah, and I suppose speaking from a personal perspective, you know, I'm quite I'm quite fairly young into my professional career, and I think I've had a lot of terms of patience, terms of put into myself in terms of making mistakes and developing off of that. So it's really pleasing to hear that, you know, you're giving the lads that type of patience also, as you've been around my age also, in the fact that, you know, they're, you know, they are allowed to make those mistakes, but ultimately it's how you learn from them and, you know, grow ultimately as an individual and hopefully don't make mistakes again. No, definitely. I think that's the, that's the, the benchmark. If, if it's the same, same mistake repeated over and over again, the level they'll get to in terms of learning capacity. Uh, whereas if, you know, for me, like I said, we, We'll reflect on things game to game, but then every player will have their own individual plan where they'll have two or three objectives they're working on. And we'll consistently work on those until we feel they become habit and learn. And that takes time, that takes consistency. It takes evidence to show it repeatedly and not just off in one occasions. So that's why, to be fair, I have a great group of staff around me that are all from development backgrounds, which really fits the profile of the group we've got as well. We've got young players that, you know, still have a you know have high potential but still got a load left to come in terms of development so you know i've got a really group group of staff and people around me that are able to support you know the development and the journeys that the players are going to go on yeah and that certainly shows from the outside 100 uh, good to hear 
you talk about obviously a lot of your success this season. Um, obviously, you mentioned about obviously being as a team. Um, obviously, you get manager of the month. Obviously, you, it's not all lies on you. you you're first, obviously, Saturday. It's a collective, collective as an effort. But obviously, these performances, game by game. Um, what's taught you the most about yourself or the players as a whole? Uh, good question. I think it's been really difficult to look at myself over the course of the season just because of the intensity of the games. I, uh, it's probably one thing I've learned about myself. I probably do need to dedicate more time to reflecting. I'm really reflective. I, I obsess on performance and reflecting on players' performance, the team's performance. And I do look at myself often in terms of what can I do better, what do I need to do better. But actually, bigger picture reflection is really difficult in season, I think. I think the biggest thing that... I've learned probably is in terms of adapting to the volume of games. You know, when you, we, we don't actually train a lot. When we go Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, we don't have a lot of training time. So it's, you know, it's forced me and the other staff to adapt to how do we, how do we coach the players? How do we educate them? How do we get them up to speed with what we want it to look like? Uh, because you can't do too much of that in training. So we've had to be really creative and do it in unit meetings, do it in walkthroughs, do it in showing video, do it in, you know, creating animations on a platform that we use. So, I think that's the biggest thing in, you know, observation and then adapting to what the players need is, is, is probably one of the biggest things that I've looked at in myself this year to go, right, how do I do that? I think the other thing then is, it's just, again, culture. I, I knew it was important. And again, coming through it, I think it flips, it changes a little bit when, uh, when you're in an academy, so much emphasis on culture is around behavior development in a person. But when, you, when you're actually doing it to align a team, I think to win games, this is a little bit different. Um, and, and again, I think it, it's one thing that it's just kind of reinforced. I'm not say I'd learnt it, but I'd say it's definitely reinforced the importance for me, definitely. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Um, I was just wondering, um, th thanks again for giving up your evening and coming on uh, tonight. Um, I was just wondering, um, you talk about, you know, your approach with players, etc. But is there much that you'd maybe change if, the average age of the squad was, say, 28 as opposed to 23, 24? Yeah, I think some of it depends. I think that's, again, I'd say it's probably one of my strengths in terms of adaptability. And I think that comes from the journey I've had moving to different countries and different clubs. I think uh, I've learned that there's elements I have to adapt myself to in order, you know, for people to understand or to buy in or to, you know, accelerate, you know, the position they're in to, to get on board. And I think that that is definitely one thing that how I worked in Belgium is slightly different to how I work now. And there's certain key principles that you don't uh, you don't trade off that you're not willing to negotiate. There's also other things like that that I've had to and that I would in the future. And again, I think that is a feeling and an observation skill of what's the type of group I've got? How do they learn best? What program do they need? How can I get them up to speed as quick as I can? And again, I think because we've got a young group now. When we use tech, we use a lot of technology, obviously, in terms of video, data, stats, animations. The group love it at the minute. They lap it up. Whereas, like you said, if it was a group of maybe 28 plus, maybe I have to adapt it. I'd have to tweak it and maybe work slightly differently. Um, but that's not to say, again, Skip's terrific in terms of, you know, the, the video work he does, the animations. He's, you know, and he's obviously at the the opposite end of the spectrum. Some of the other guys, he's, he's, he's all on board with that as well. So I think it's just finding that, finding the group and how they respond best to it. And I think the easiest way is to, to talk to them. I think rather than just guessing, do they like this? Do they not like that? What do they, just ask them what they think. And quite often, you know, I think that's the biggest thing when you involve players in the process, 
it quickly gets them up to speed and gets them on board. And then you can actually create a program where it's set by us, it's driven by us, but actually we've had the feedback off them to tweak it to what they think's best for them. Yeah, brilliant. And I think, I guess, with the younger players as well, the fact that there's, you know, so many of them, it's almost, you know, they, they're, they're not the young person, if you want it. It's just the norm. So I guess that can also help in, in that sort of environment. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the, the challenge for all, our, all of us, probably coaches. Um, you now we have to evolve with society in general. I think rather than, you know, put up barriers, I think you have to respect and, and definitely use some of the things that have happened in the past and previously, because obviously there's certain things in the game that won't change that have been there forever. But there's also so many new things coming in. It's also, then, for me, what, what can you add to make the programme better? What is gimmicky and just there for the sake of it? And I think that, that when I look at how we work, I think we have a, a good balance at the minute of using modern technology to collect data, stats, video, information versus alongside what do our eyes tell us? What do we see? What do we feel? I think that's you know such an important thing as well. So we, we work really hard to run the two side by side. Yeah, I definitely think a combination of the two is really important. And um, I just wanted to maybe move on about your journey to, to get into where you are today, because I mean, a lot's been made of your time abroad in Belgium and in, in the USA. And I just wanted to say, like, I, and I don't mean any disrespect to any any managers that are currently in these positions, but, you know, with you not saying being a Premier League footballer, do you find that maybe perhaps hindered your opportunities in terms of moving straight into a championship job, say, as a, as a head coach? And, and is that why maybe you think that you did go to do these different opportunities and maybe separate yourself from... Um, some other coaches I actually think if you look at it now there's bar, bar a few I think it's really difficult now for any even Premier League players now to walk straight into first team jobs I think that's becoming I know you've got the exceptions obviously Stephen Gerrard Frank Lampard but at the same point some of them you know they, they also did some years in the academy as well like Stephen Gerrard obviously was with the 18s and the 23s for a period of time at Liverpool I know Frank Lampard was at Chelsea doing bits and pieces so it's not like they've literally you know bypassed it of course, they're fast-tracked and, you know, but it, I think it's becoming increasingly difficult now, I think, because of the level of work that goes into being a coach. I think uh, I think my uh, when I look at my journey, I think, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I think some of the people I've been exposed to, I'm fortunate as well as I've worked bloody hard to get where I've got to as well. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of hours, a lot of travelling, a lot of, you know, years and years of earning hardly any money whatsoever. Um but, but just doing it because you love the game and you're passionate about the game. And my biggest thing and my biggest reward was just in, I enjoyed being around. Kids gave me an energy. I think they gave you a buzz, seeing the development in them, the progress, teaching them the game, how they responded. And then obviously the final bit of seeing their journey through the first team is probably the most rewarding aspect. And I think it was never, it was never a set one. I wanted to go, right, I want to go and be a first team coach, a head coach, a manager. It wasn't a, my, my plan kind of evolved over time. I think, uh, and I think part of it, I came in, I started coaching before E Triple P, so there wasn't actually that many full-time coaching jobs. So actually, you had to coach every single age group just, just to obviously get by. Then it was a case of E Triple P and jobs increased. And I feel really fortunate not to have fast-tracked my career. Although it might seem like I'm, you know, I'm a young head coach in League One, actually I've been coaching for 16 years. So I've actually, you know, huge, huge amount of groundwork and different experiences and kind of been through the whole spectrum now, which... Again, I think, you know, put me in a good spot now. I think some of the bits I do now with, with seniors, I don't have under eights, just in terms of competition, enjoyment. I think the second you get people competitive and you get people enjoying what they do, 
they learn it. They learn a lot quicker and they want to be there. And they're there, some of the traits that you want in a group. So, so yeah, no, I don't, it, was, it wasn't a deliberate, I'm going to go abroad to do this because I think it'll help me, help me get here. It's more, I just wanted to become better as a coach and better as a person. And I felt going abroad and challenging myself in that way was, you know, was the route that would help me do that. Brilliant. And, uh, and I guess when, you know, in terms of coming back to England, uh, MK Dons, it's almost quite a natural progression, just as we've mentioned before, just given the age of, of the of the team. And also, it's, it is very much about developing these players, just as well as getting those three points on a Saturday. Yeah, no, definitely. There was, a, again, I wouldn't have jumped at any opportunity. It, it, it felt so right, I think, when I looked at, like you say, the profile of the squad. Not not just this, the playing style of this squad, but I think you know, the club also has a history since it's been around of playing a certain style of football. You know, the, the external perception around, you know, with the ball and attacking football. And that was kind of, I obviously, I came through Ipswich, which, you know, has a history of a very similar style of football. So, I uh, it, definitely that. I also think the chairman in terms of when you looked at, you know, his history of, you know, being quite supportive for, for, for you know, first-time coaches, I think, you know, he had, he had a track record in that. And then when, obviously, I spoke with Liam Sweeten and spoke with the chairman, it, it you know, it ticked so many boxes in terms of it was a, you know, it was, a, it was an opportunity where I really felt that you know, it was a really good fit on both parts. Well, I don't think it's going too badly so far myself. So. <laughs> um, Thank you. It, it's, this next question's a bit precise, but I'll, I'll break it down so it's a bit more easier for go you. On, go but, for it, it's fine. Um, what, what did you learn about yourself in, in the first three months of the job? What did I learn in about terms myself? of like adapting yourself? I learned... This is probably something that, and I know I'm going to do it at the end of the season. I need to sit down over a beer and actually <laughs> reflect on the whole year. Because the, the start of the season feels about four years ago right now. It's been such a full-on intense season. I think and that's the thing that I don't think, Ross, it can prepare you for in terms of... Uh, you can go for an academy system. I can go and coach in Belgium. But and, until you're actually in it and you're doing a 53, minimum 50, uh, 53 games this season, until you're actually in it and living it, nothing can prepare you for it. Because it was just a sheer on intensity that just smacked us all in the face of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. I think for some months we had like eight, nine games. And there's not, nothing that can prepare you to you know, devise a schedule. To, and that's where I probably learned quickly in terms of what do the players need? Because if we, if we do too much now, and I think there's so much, there's so much science behind physical overload there's not actually enough work around psychological overload. And that was one where we had to be quite conscious because we, you know, we, we prep properly. So we do opposition meetings. We do set pieces in possession, out of possession. We do our game plan, how we want to set up. We want to do post-match. And it was almost, we had to quickly go, we can't do all of that. And that's not possible for every game. Some games we just don't do a review or we link the post-match with the pre-match or leave this bit out or just cut the clips. So we had to really quickly pulled back on the the amount of information that we wanted to give. And because of me and the two staff, three staff, sorry, me, Pricey, Hoggy and Wrighty are so obsessive on, we watch everything, we clip everything, we code everything. we And we want to give the lads everything that actually, we got to a point where is it for us or is it for them? And what do they need? And I thought we quickly adapted. And, and, and in the first three months, you know, bearing in mind, we hadn't worked together as a group of staff either. So it was the first time we'd collectively worked as a group of staff and we quickly had to go, right, how do we work as a group of staff? And then ultimately, how do we work so the players get what they need and not what we just want to throw at them? So I'd say that's probably the key things in the first three months. 
But I need to spend a bit of time, I think, on that actually proper. So, so it'll be a different answer come the end of the season then. I'm glad you're going to say, I thought you were going to say it might be a different answer after a beer, which it possibly could be. As well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it could be. <laughs> yeah, the office there for a beer, Liam, if you wanted one. So, you know, we'll, we'll leave it standing for now. Um, one day, yeah. 100%, 100%. Um, but obviously you mentioned about, you know, you alluded to earlier about, you know, having the 16 years of coaching, putting in the hard hours uh, to get to where you are today. What, what drives you to go the extra mile, would you say, in terms of, obviously, you, you said just the love for the game. Is, is there much else to it apart from the love of the game? Yeah, no, definitely. I'm um, just driven to be the best I can be. I think that's probably the the biggest thing. And I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm driven more by, it, it sounds mad, but I'm driven more by fear than I am success, which sounds probably quite crazy. I'm, I'm driven more by the fear of, not going the extra mile, not doing it as best I can, not being able to look at myself and knowing that I've done everything as best I can. That, that that's a that's a bigger driver for me than actually wanting to go and win things and do things. I think they're they're a nice byproduct of actually having the you know the the drive and to do it properly. So I'd say that yeah, that, that, that that's probably it. Uh, it, first, very interesting answer actually, because I know obviously being a part of the city group, I imagine you know Pep was a big influence in terms of certain you know, philosophies and styles you'd like to implement as a manager. But has that element of not wanting to fail influenced? Have you seen that in any of the managers previously in terms of the way they've operated and implemented that into your style? Uh, there was a thing actually in the paper which I wasn't too keen on recently about the Pep thing because I've never spoken to him or met him in my life to be totally honest. Oh, okay. I was real fortunate. Um, CFG have a platform where they get the methodology across all the clubs. He obviously plays a, a part in that, but not. There's actually a group of staff, and there's a guy called uh, Kerry Bowley who, who and Brian Eastick, who, who I spoke with regularly. And there is an aligned philosophy with certain principles, but there's also tweaks and different pieces in it. So um, I definitely I took huge amounts from CFG, like uh, in terms of tactically. Uh, but I think when I look at it, I think there's a I've got some key probably mentors that I've had in my coaching journey that have shaped kind of how I am. And I think when I look at it, there's there's kind of four key people really. And just quickly running through, there's Brian Kluge at Ipswich, who in terms of de- designing and delivering and progressing a session was outstanding. One of the best I've seen. Steve Foley in connecting with people, uh, using the, the use of humour to get people on board and uh, creating an environment where people want to train and want to learn and want to get better. And just the details and the bits he gave me were great. The guy, uh, Peter Rivian, who would just question everything, which sounds mad, but as a, I'd go out and I'd do a session and he'd say, why are you doing that? Or I'd make a coaching point and say, why do you ask that? And it was never from an angle of it was wrong. It was always a, generally, why are you doing it? Like, think around the things you do. And then the final one is a, a guy called Terry Wesley, who was the academy director at West Ham and I was there, who when I look at how I am now and how I work, shaped me massively in terms of the intensity I work at. Like we are we are flat out all day, every day. Don't switch off. Terrible in terms of texting each other, the staff, clipping things. I'm waking up at two in the morning thinking of goal kicks. Uh, crazy stuff. We finish an away game, I get straight on the bus and then I'll tell you I'll code the game straight afterwards on the way back. Uh, I'll put out all individual clips, team clips. I'll have all that done by the time we get off the bus on the away back. And that was Terry. So I've kind of looked at it and I think that's where you get to a stage when you've been coaching for a long time, you become quite clear on your philosophy of you, how you are as a coach, how you are as a person, what your kind of your working methods are. Yeah. 
yeah and it's all, it's almost following your own path right you know not really wanting to replicate anyone else's style you know essentially be Lee and Manning and not be you know any of the manager it's been before no and I think you start out I think you definitely start out I think you you copy I think you you kind of especially when you're jumping in at the deep end I think you, you definitely you copy because you don't know yeah so you know, I, th- I think that's where and then what you do is then you just tweak you adapt you change and, and I think it takes time and I think that's a there's a danger now that too many I think it's age, but it's too many coaches starting out. That's why I say I'm happy I didn't fast track because I think you need to go through those years of kind of discovering yourself and your way of coaching. And I think you sometimes if a coach does a role for a year or two and then jumps onto the next one, sometimes you lose that that consolidation. Does that makes sense. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It makes a lot of sense. In in terms of uh, since you've been a head coach, obviously you know you you've, you were head coach at Lommel, but um. What's the hardest thing about being a head coach? And what's one thing that you thought you might hate about being a head coach, but actually you've grown to love it as, as time's gone on? The one thing I hate is an easy one is uh, leaving people out. I'm pretty sure any head coach would tell you the same thing. It's the hardest bit every single week. And it's where my mind goes to straight away after a game. And that's why I think it's really difficult to enjoy. You know, I, I enjoyed Cambridge for... You know, the, the period I'm back in the changing room, I speak to the players and the players will probably tell you I'm, I'm talking around the next game straight away and what we need to do to be ready for that. So I'd say uh, I, I'm then straight into the picking the next team, which it, it, that's the hardest bit. Do you know what I mean? I pick a team every week. I'm leaving 10 people out. I'm disappointing 10 people that think they should play. And, you know, and, and the difficulty is you can't, it's impossible when you're playing the number of games we do to go through and explain every single reason and detail as to why you've picked the team and why so-and-so is not playing. And what you've got is 25 people looking at the team through their own individual emotional lens. I look at it through what does the team need? They look at it through, I want to be playing. <laughs> so that, that without a shadow of doubt is the, the hardest part each week, especially I think when you care about the players. I think if it's just about the team and you've got no empathy for the players, I think it's easy to do. But I'd, I'd like to, and hopefully the players feel it, that you know I have an element of empathy. I do. I want them to not necessarily be happy, but I want them to be in tune. I want them to be clear i want them to be you know knowing the, why we make some of the decisions so uh they're, they're definitely some of the, uh, the the key bits for me the bit i expected to hate which i probably enjoy i'm not sure i'd say enjoy it I, the bit i thought i'd hate that i've actually found okay is probably the media stuff i think and and makes a difference i know he's on the call here i was even now i'm not and and i i've got better Ant, right is he on mute still is he still here is he slightly yeah what has happened to your hair, by the way? Sorry to go off topic off on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. No, the, the media stuff was because it's... Yeah, I don't mind it. I'm okay getting in front of the cameras. I'm okay doing this stuff, chatting because I love talking about football. But uh, it was a bit... I was kind of like thinking, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not really going to want to do that. But to be fair, since I've since I've been here, and I have to say, Ant's terrific for me. He helps me a lot, gives me good feedback, preps me really well. So uh, that, that's the bit that I probably, you know, I've I've got my head around a lot better. I'm not I'm not sure I'd say to this to the point where I enjoy it, but it's it's definitely something that I thought I'd hate. That actually I don't mind. Well, Ant certainly seems to be keeping you busy with all these articles and podcasts you've been appearing on lately. I was going to say you should you should have yeah. told me that because I can I can book a load more in if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we're only we're 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 shut down soon, right? <laughs> this is the, yeah, pretty much there. 
is there anything you thought you'd perhaps love but you actually dislike about being a head coach that's something that you actually expected to like no not really to be fair uh nothing nothing jumps to mind to be honest i can't i can't think it i'm trying to think about it. nothing jumps to mind to be honest no ah, fair enough fair enough all good then um so obviously you, you mentioned about your, the advice you've received in the past but What's the most valuable piece of advice you've either received in your career or your life so far? I can't pin, I can't, I've had lots of good advice, to be honest. I think there's lots of, lots of little bits in terms of, probably more from a coaching angle than around myself. I think in terms of, yeah, and we'll laugh about it, but mentor said to me, players care what you know when they know you care. It was, you know, little bits like that. I've, you know, loads of little things that, you know, I think it in kind of imprinted in my head around how to coach, how to communicate with people, I think. And, and that's the biggest bit. I think, you know, I'm, I'm very much driven by kind of my values and I, I've always kind of, I've never chased anything or actively gone and looked for anything. It's always been a case for me of and it, something that Guy Ipswich said, if you do a good job, you'll get the recognition. You don't need to go and chase the recognition or chase the next thingy or if you, if you keep your head down, do a good job, stay true to you, work as hard as you can, everything else will take care of itself. And I've kind of always, you know, gone by that. Um, and it's obviously got to, got me to here to date. So, you know, I don't plan on changing anything in the future. It's live for the now, get my head down, work, do the best job I can. And, you know, your development will take care of itself that kind of way. Well, I, th I think as, as fans can t uh, tell you that you're doing a very good job at Milton Keynes for sure. Um, but Joe, Joe will lead us um, off with some quick fire questions. Yeah, we'll we, we take a seat back from Ross's deep questions now. We'll get stuck into some more lighthearted uh, bits now. Right. So, if you're stuck on a desert island, which member of the squad would you most like to be with, and which one would you least like to be with? Oh, are they going to listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't. I don't want the politicians' answer. No politicians, right? No worries. I'll, uh, who would I like to be stuck with? God, this is going to be, I'd actually prefer going back to Ross's question. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> I think I'd probably, I'd probably like, I'd like to be stuck with Harry Darling. Just pure, purely from the fact that he's the, one of the scattiest guys I've met, who I think <laughs> he, he just makes me laugh so often just because he's all over the shop. So I think he uh, he's got a great sense You'd of humor. You'd want him on, his, on your side. I think. Yeah, and he's obviously a lot taller than me, which is height advantage might have some benefits for me in terms of you know what I mean if we're on a desert island. But yeah, I'd 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 go stuck with Harry. I think I'm going. Um, I'll take his twin and and not be stuck with Twiny. Twiny, <laughs> super emotional, whingy, moany. No, nah, he's great, Twiny. I love Twiny. He's been, he's, them two as a pair would be brilliant to be stuck with, to be fair. They're, they're stuck at the hips. So, yeah, pro probably them two. There you go. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Twiny's great, but 30 yard screamers don't really come in handy on a desert island, do they? So, <laughs> yeah, no, he's, <laughs> yeah, no, he's great, Twiny. Go on, um, next. So, obviously, you've coached a, a variety of players throughout all year you know your years if you had to do a five-a-side team from those players who's going in and, and you can include yourself if you'd like nah I'm terrible terrible uh, 
uh, just pick a five from the team now. They'll be happy then. No, I think like, I'm, I'm lucky. I've coached some really good players. I think, you know, when I look at it, I have to say at the minute, Jamie would be up there. I think Jamie's been terrific, to be fair. Um, and I'm going to go with players that I've properly coached, not ones that I've had in my session for like four or five times, which I know people do. I have to say, as you'd all know, Deck, I spent a lot of time with Deck. Deck was terrific. Um, everything you'd want as a person and obviously how he is as a player speaks, speaks for himself. I think, uh, who am I putting with Deck? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Deck and Harry at the back of my five-a-side team. Let's put Harry in there. I think they'd complement each other quite well. I think, I think they're both as daft as each other, which would be good. Good entertainment just to see that. Uh, both players. like to surge forward as well. <laughs> yeah, I have to say when I was at West Ham... Um, Grady Dean Garner was one that I really enjoyed watching. So he's he's obviously uh, West Brom at the minute, but at the time there was a period where he was unplayable. I thought at times at West Ham where he was uh, again really really good to watch and yeah, some of the stuff he, he produced in attacking areas was terrific. So I'd, I'll go with Grady, and then was it one more? How many have I picked? Yeah, more. you can have one more. I think I pick Ant. I think having a yeah, I think and press officer and I think he he'd do a job up top as well. I mean, seeing him on the on the head tennis court, I think he'd be one that would. Uh, I mean, he'd bring a bit of fire to the team. He'd need a bit of aggression and someone to drive a standard, and I think Ant would do that for me. There we go. Then there we go. And I'm just going to finish off with one that I mean, it's meant to be quick fire, but we can spend as long or as short amount of time as you want on it. Are there more doors or wheels? I'm not having this question either. This, this <laughs> came up in the canteen the other week, and I'm, I'm not having yeah. it. Right one. Yeah, are we having no answer on that then? <laughs> no answer. I'm not doing that one. Um, Cal and Ant were on it for ages the other day. I'm not. Yeah, that. yeah. Cal, Cal said you'd love that one. So, I want to call. I want to call. I want to call Cal out on this. To be fair, it's because, Cal. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> the guy claimed that a steering wheel wasn't a wheel, despite the fact that it's got wheel in the name. We're already spending too much time talking. Yeah, we are. I just wanted, I wanted to get that out there publicly. That's a shambles. It, it lost me when I heard Josh McEachern trying to talk around Advent calendar doors. <laughs> to, which, to which point, I was like, I don't want to hear this conversation anymore. Uh, Hot Wheels, Lego, machinery. Come on, it's, it's got to be wheels. But with that, um, we'll, we'll end on that and I'll um, pass over to the Liam. The funny thing uh, is, all them things you've just mentioned, Joe, are right around me now. There's monster trucks and Hot Wheels. I'm in my little boy's uh, toy room and I've got all of wow. them. So I'm probably going to wheels. There you go. Yeah, there we go. There we go. That's the argument sorted right there. Yeah. But a tradition for all of our MK1 Meets episodes, Liam, is that we get we ask the guests to ask us any questions. So have you got any questions for us? I'm going to go safe, I think. What's your most memorable game this season? I know mine straight away. Go on then, Ross. Uh, Sunderland away. It was, yeah. We, we drove up, I think it was about 6am on Saturday morning. I think I think we left. Um, got, got into Newcastle for what? I think it was about 11 o'clock. Went straight to the pub and... Um, it was so steep up there. So when when Mo put that in the back of the net, Jesus. On that breath. 
Oh, <laughs> I, I, fell, I fell down about four or five rows. And then obviously they scored and I had to do it again when Connor scored. Uh, so uh, it was a very steep. Um, I had a few br- bruises come Monday morning. Um, but yeah, it was a really enjoyable way though, for sure. Like it. Yeah, Sunderland was was absolutely fantastic. And um, it's definitely up there for my all-time away days, for sure, 100% following Don's. I'll go for a different answer just to be fun. Um, I'll go Rotherham away. Um, I mentioned it earlier. That was, again, an incredible game and day in general. Um, bit, of a, bit of a short trip than Sunderland. But, yeah, the way that that second half played out and I was bringing Kaz on and things like that, yeah, that was a that was an incredible day. And, um Funny enough, I don't think many of us expected actually to win that game. Um, but, you know, the group proved a lot of us wrong once again and uh, showed why they are where they are in the league. And, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic day. It was even more sweet, I think, that one after the uh, Rotherham celebration. Uh. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that got pointed out to me after after the game when we were watching it back. I don't know if someone pointed it out to me, which, yeah, I'm a, I, also, I believe in karma. So, A few wow. stern words were said. um yeah i mean i've been fortunate enough to i've only missed a couple of away games this season and it's 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 a tough form of away games because you seem to just keep giving me hangovers when you keep winning so yeah i mean there's pros and cons to winning all the time um for me i'd say it was wigan um that was the first one I'd seen. Obviously, there was the COVID in the middle, but the first time I'd seen us win away in a good, just through, because I missed, there was one game we won in between that, which is Blackpool, I think. And so it was a good seven or 800 days since I'd seen us win away from home. And the way we did it, it was, you know, it wasn't even as if we were holding on at the end. And it was just like, you know what, we're, we're here this season and we're going to give it a good go. So, and that was the moment for me where I kind of realised, yeah, we're going to push on from here. So. Yeah, Wigan for me. I like it. Yeah, notice how they were all away games, by the way, also. Um, I think I think it's with the three of us, we actually haven't actually missed a game this season, have we, lads? So I think that just shows no. how much we've enjoyed, you know, watching the team this year and uh yeah, following the lads home and away basically. And you know, it's, it's massively valued, you know, by by me, by the staff, by the players. So uh, you you three guys here and all the followers here, you know, it's a massive thank you. We do really appreciate it and yeah, we'll, we'll keep working as hard as we can to try to keep entertaining you. And it's um, very nice of the EFL to move the Plymouth game to 12.30. So it now means we're going to have to spend a long weekend in Plymouth uh, during a heat wave. So, I mean, awful of them to do <laughs> that. Shame. If we have to, <laughs> if we have to. But no, Liam, um, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time on this Wednesday evening to come on and chat to us. Um, obviously, a big, a big five or six weeks left of the season. You know, we've got a bit of a rest going into this weekend, but I'm sure it's uh, head down again and all all guns are blazing for those last six weeks or so. Yeah, no, very much so. Um, I, I say every interview, right? If you if you see it, it's game by game, and that that's kind of got us to this point. So, you know, I, th- I don't think it's really important that we don't one we don't take our eyes off of you know where we're at and what we need to do, but I also think you know there's to be a huge amount of credit to the guys in terms of bigger bigger picture. You know, we're when you look at it, and I keep saying it in every interview, when you see the, you know, we were talking earlier around when we were around it, possibly yeah. one of the hardest league ones in God knows how long. Yeah, so it's almost like a an even bigger achievement if you if you if you think that, and you know the, the players should get so much credit for it because you know we've changed the team, we've sold some players, we've you know had to had to go through so much transition this year that you know the players 
to, to do what they've done. It's just, you know, it's been amazing. So it'll be on me now and the staff to make sure we keep pushing them, keep driving them and, you know, get, get, get us through to the end of the season. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you there. Basically, is our last message. We'll, we'll see you in. We'll see you at Shrewsbury in a couple of weeks, and we'll see you at um, lovely ASB Modern in a couple of weeks after that. So yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. No worries, Liam. Thanks for coming on. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub One Hundred. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. So, gents, how did, how did we find Liam Manning? Obviously, it's our first time speaking to him in, in that capacity anyway. Ross, how did, how did we find him? Um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird one, because obviously it, you, we only see, obviously, from what we see of the pre interviews after games and that. And I think what I took away from it is I'm, I'm a bit more reassured in the sense of he's, he, he does seem like the, the right bloke for the job. Um, obviously, before he signed up, um, we didn't know much about him. It was just a case of taking stuff from the city group and all this. But um, it seems like he's a hardworking, genuine bloke. And um, I think that that's probably a key to, to, his, to his success. And... Um, yeah, the more li- more I listen to him, the more I believe him. Yeah, I remember us speaking to Sven about him when he, well, just when just before he joined, I think it was when it was like you know announced that he was having talks with Liam and uh, potentially joining. And I think what I listened back to that episode and it it really it translates over to what we just listened to. You know, as you mentioned, Ross, he seems like a really genuine person who, at the same time, is really insightful and. Again, if he makes himself has quite a caring nature to you know, not only the players but also the fans, and um, yeah, no, it, it was it was good to hear his thoughts on certain things, and obviously, you know, there were some questions that uh, you know the doors of the wheels debate will carry on, but uh, just for clarification, we're all team wheels, um, and yeah, no, I generally I really enjoyed that, and um, yeah, it was good. Joe, I don't know what your thoughts were at all. Yeah, I think. More than anything, he just, he, he, yeah, like Ross said, genuine is one word that comes to mind for me. Um, and I think that for me, you can tell he, he cares. And I know it's easy to, you know, we maybe, I know everyone loves a manager that goes out there and beats his chest and, you know, after, you know, scraping a, a result or something. But, you know, you, I think Liam shows he cares in other ways. And um, I, I think one thing is the club is in very good hands. You know, the, the work that he put, obviously clearly puts in, the time, the sacrifices he's made to get where he is today. Um, and I think that just shows what a, you know, genuine bloke he is, full of intent, like, you know, the values that he tells his players that he wants to have. Well, he'd be a hypocrite if he didn't do them in, himself, and he clearly is. So, yeah, I'm really pleased with how we're looking and... Um, Long may it continue. Hopefully, we can uh, see more and more over the over the next coming years. Yeah, most definitely. I, I can I can echo that you, you guys' thoughts anymore. To be honest, it's a really 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 insightful chat, and I hope I know we didn't get to, get to answer all your guys' questions, but I hope we got to answer as many as we could, and I hope you got some really nice insights from that in terms of as to how Liam is as a person and how he operates as a as a head coach and how his team operates and his players, etc. And yeah, hopefully that spurs you on to come and support the boys in the final six weeks of the season. 
obviously it's, it's a massive six weeks as we all know some big away games big home games to which you know could be something great if we do well in all those seven games left of course minus the annoying easter weekend changes and yeah it's, it's a really good interview and i hope you guys all enjoyed it and until next time come on you dons Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.